Praise God, praise God, praise God. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 11. We're going to share some time in the Word of God. How many of you love the Word of God? Mark chapter 11. It's a pretty familiar scripture, and I want to kind of zero in on it if I can for a moment. In verse 22, most of you have a couple of verses in this chapter underlined in your Bible. If we still do that, do we still carry paper Bibles? I hear a couple of them out there. Or they're still doing the offering and they're shuffling through their paper money. Um, verse 22 says this, and Jesus answered unto them. Now remember what we're, if you remember where you are in context here, Jesus had just done something awesome. Uh, you know, the, the fig tree and all that kind of thing. And the disciples came to him and they asked him of it, how do you do that? And Jesus answered them and said unto them, have faith in God. And so, um, a lot of what we have learned about following God, at least in the sort of a modern time, is uh, maybe word of faith things or, you know, getting the word of God, believing the word of God, confessing the word of God, getting the word of God working in our lives, principles and doctrines and getting it all organized like that. Uh, but that was, it's kind of a little bit out of order here when it comes to Jesus' instructions to us. He starts off by saying, have faith in God. Uh, before you know the word to believe, you need to know the God who spoke the word. You need to have a faith in God. And that's really what we are talking about as we've sort of wandered through now for almost two years on focusing on the blessing of Abraham, God's intended lifestyle for every human being, uh, particularly his children, uh, that are following him today, that are tuned into him, is that the blessing of Abraham, the graces and the blessings of God would be poured upon each and every person's life. And the key to that, as we have wandered through this, and we look into the Old Testament, we see that the, God's interaction with Noah and with Abraham and with Moses and with David and with Jesus and, with, uh, and then by extension with us is this concept of entering into covenant with Almighty God. And sometimes we get confused about what that is. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul refers to our ability to use our covenant relationships, the fact that I am married to Tina and how all that works. As I try to understand what is my relationship like with God. And we've spent a lot of time with that this year, focusing on how, does, how do relationships happen? How do you go all the way from stranger to spouse and then once being spouse, how do you live victoriously in the, the relationship that you have? And can I tell you, when it comes to this concept of faith in God, that almost sounds religious. It's really referring to trust, confidence in someone. You know, I know Tina really well. We've spent probably, we haven't been more than 22 feet apart for our, the entire lives that we have had together, which is now... Uh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's now 34 years. I'm just getting the math because we weren't saved at the time. And so we had a couple extra years together before that, which we won't go into today. Um, so almost 40 years together. And I, I know we're pretty good. But you know, I tell you something. There's sometimes when she surprises me. Still. I think, I think I can say something or do something and I'm totally going to get away with it. How many of you know where I'm going here? And I don't. Do you know what's important about a, re a relationship? is not that you really, I, I can totally predict everything that Tina is going to do. The most important thing that is in a marriage relationship is that I trust her to make the best decision possible. Because I don't know sometimes what decision she's going to make. I could probably get, you know, four, 30, 20% of them right. But there's a lot of what Tina does that I can't predict how she's going to react to it. Can I tell you something? God is like that too. There is a lot of, how many of you say that with me? A lot of stuff that God does. I totally did not expect that's what God was going to do. And so it's, it's important to know God in the sense of What's he going to do in this situation? I get a good idea for, like, I know that when you come up here and you've got a, maybe a healing need in your body, I know he's, he's, he's ready to heal you. Yeah. 
But, I, you know, sometimes it goes faster than other times. Sometimes it's just a simple problem to fix. Sometimes it's got a little bit, there's a lot of stuff to it. And so I, I get baffled sometimes when I try to know, when I, when I, when I need to know exactly what God is going to do right now. It has caused me a lot of problems because I sort of, I was a little zealous. Let's use the other word. I was a little foolish in my, my early years because I figured I had this thing nailed. I was just going to jump off a whole bunch of cliffs and God was going to catch me. And a lot of times he caught me. But a lot of times he was trying to teach me, dude, stop jumping off of cliffs. <laughs> and so he was a little unpredictable to me. Can I tell you what we are? Everybody's unpredictable. The key to relationship is not predictability. If God was interested in getting a predictability relationship with you, he would just have made you a robot. And he would have programmed you the way he wanted you programmed, like the angels, sort of. But that's not what God was looking for. God was not looking for you to, to for, for him to reveal himself to you in such the magnitude of who he is that he is completely predictable to you. When somebody is not predictable, you must have something else that governs the relationship that you have with that person. And that thing which governs the relationship is trust. Because sometimes God is going to do stuff that you are not expecting him to do. Because he knows stuff that we don't know. He's guiding us places we don't even know exist. And so when we are in relationship with God, particularly God, we have got to start from the position of trusting, having faith in God. That his purposes in our lives are always looking out for our best interests first. You know, God has never had, God has never had to worry about his, self, his personal interests. As we were singing today, like who, who is going to go up against God? Like I always have this beautiful picture of, do you remember when Isaiah 14, do you all remember that scripture where the devil came and decided he was going to take over from God? Like talk about not a very smart thing to do. He must have not read the chapter about the omnipresence of God that he lives outside of time. Because that means God already knows that you're doing what you're doing, when you're going to do it. So I have this picture of the throne room and there's these big, huge golden gates that open up as you come into the throne room. And I, was, I have this, so I, this is not scriptural, this is Ian's adaptation. And God puts a bucket of feathers. You know how you can prop open a door just a little bit and you can prop a bucket of feathers up there so that when the person comes through the door, the feathers fall on their head. I have this picture of God doing that to Satan as he came in the door just because it's fun. God is not worried about what the devil is doing. He's not bugged about, because he knows exactly what is going to happen. He knows exactly what strategy is going on. He knows exactly how to get you through that maze that is the, the, the rest of your life. The key to it is that we have to have that relationship with him that says, God, I trust you. I know there is no possible way that God can make a decision to take you in a particular direction that is in his best interest at the detriment of your best interests. Imagine having somebody in your life who operates like that, that you never have to wonder, why is that person doing this or that or the other? That no matter what, we know that I can sit there and say, you know what, God, I think you are going in the absolute wrong direction here. But I know, you know more than me, and you always have my best interests at heart. Because God lives in this amazing zone where nothing ever bothers him, nothing. 
He is never have to concern with how hot it is or how cold it is or, you know, is, my, is the cushion on my throne comfy right now? Never has to think about that. His world is such absolute perfection that there's nothing on his mind except you. He's never scared. He's never worried about having the devil come up and take over for God. He's, that ne- has never been a thought in God's mind. All he's thinking about is how does he bless your life? The problem is that when we're being guided, at, see, if I'm trying to go to Tina right now and there's a big pothole in the middle between me and Tina and God says, go this way, I'm thinking, God, you're dumb. <laughs> She's right there. And he says, yeah, but you don't see the landmine that's between you and her. Go that way. Do you see that? And then he's going to do this and this and this and guide me and guide me and guide me. Maybe do a little pirouette right here to make me look good. And then next thing you know, I'm right here. Or I could just go and do what I think is right. Many of the ways it seem right unto a man and go and blow a leg off right here between me and Tina. And she's saying, nah, I wasn't looking for a one-legged man. For covenant to work, you must be able to trust. And we've covered this before, that we live in a trustless environment. Uh, I would, my assessment of the world that we all grew up in, the, the world that we live in right now, is a covenant-free culture. We don't commit to anything. We don't trust anybody. We don't engage in things that have anything to do with trusting other people. Not in here. I'm not talking about in here. I'm not talking about in the kingdom. I'm talking about the general, how much chlorine is in the pool that we all live in. And that stuff gets on us and we can smell like chlorine because of the culture, this covenant-less culture that we live in. And just as a sidebar here, I'm very concerned about the future of the kingdom of God in first world countries just for this simple reason, is that the kingdom is a covenant culture. If you think about kingdom, you think about culture. I mean, you think about uh, covenant. The way the kingdom works is by covenant. If we, although we can use some of the principles, you know, gravity works whether you're a covenant person or not a covenant person, whether you're a kingdom person or not a kingdom person. But the mechanism, as we're going to talk about today, why do we want to get into covenant with Almighty God? Is because the mechanism of the kingdom requires one thing, covenant. In order to get into covenant, I must trust. It really, nothing else really matters. I don't even have to be that cute for Tina to want me. She just wants covenant with me. Same thing with God. It must start with our ability to trust. Now we live in a generation where we have a me-focused generation. I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm just drawing your attention. To Why is this going to be a bit of work? Why are we challenged in our modern day to understand this concept of covenant? Is because we live in a world that it's a me-first world. We've all grown up like that. It's normal. For us to live, uh, you know, if I remember Pirates of the Caribbean, how many of you watched that movie, Jack Sparrow, right? One of the lines in that movie that marked me was when they said, you know, he he, he done what's right by him. That was the pirate's code 400 years ago. Now it's the code of our culture. Your job is just to do right by you. And I know that, and we're two sharks swimming in the same tank, caveat emptor, do whatever you can to survive because these are the rules. There are no rules. Everybody do what's right by them. Can, you tell, can I tell you something? That is the first commandment of the satanic Bible. And that has become the, the, the rationale of our world. And so now when we come, we come into this and we try to read our Bible and understand what is God doing and how come the kingdom is not working? Nobody's known the Bible and the Greek words and the Hebrew words and the whatever is better than we have. Between us and Google, we got this thing licked. Where's all the power? Where's all the world changing? Well, that's because we have understood the Bible but we have not understood the God and had trust and faith in God. 
because we have not understood this whole concept of covenant. The kingdom works great for me as long as it's for me. If it is for somebody else, you know, this is, this is awesome, you know, Tina is all about me, and I like that because I'm all about me. And this works because we're both into me. How many of you know that's not how covenant works? There's going to be a, there's going to be a very short runway until I burn this marriage to the ground if I am not about her and she is not about me then the whole system is going to tear apart and it's going to tear apart badly. And this is what we have had, the, the, the issue of our culture as we've tried to wrestle with how do we turn God into all about me because I'm all about me. And God's going, yeah, that ain't, that ain't going to fly. I'm certain God is very interested in us being all about him at dinner for our first date. He wants to impress us. We've talked about this. And then he wants to hang out with us and he wants to prove to us that he's an awesome God and that it would be awesome to get married to God. And then as we're prepping right now, we're getting into that, why would I want to do this if the requirement of covenant is that I give 100% of myself away? Why would I want to do that? Or we'd say, you know, that's, yeah, but we, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I need to worry about me because ain't nobody else going to worry about me. Right? Nobody else going to care about my destiny and nobody else going to do what I need them to do. So I need to make sure that I get my way in life or my way is going to be lost amongst all of the ways of people trying to manipulate me into what they want me to do. That's how our culture works. And everybody is terrified of giving away control. And then we come in and see you know, Pastor Ian comes up here and says, here's what you need to do. You need to give away control. And it's like, yeah, yeah. What's for lunch? You see, we go, we live in a me generation. We live in a fatherless generation. I'm not criticizing those of us that are fathers in the room. Man, we did the best we can. But look, it's, you know, it's, oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we live in a fatherless generation. That's normal, you know. Everybody's gone, you know, you know, turned 16 and now you're, taught, you're on your own. We haven't learned these things, every man for himself. Then we try to trust our friends. But we live in a, a, a culture of freedom. What that means is I get to do whatever I want. And what I want is to destroy your life or stand on your head so I can stand a little bit higher. That's what I want. Sorry. Sorry it hurts. But it's all about me. I owe it to my gene pool to be, if the strongest is going to survive and I'm stronger than you, then I, it, I owe it to our species to stand on your head and let myself be higher than you. If I can do it, I should do it because it's my job for us to evolve forward as human. Now, that's where we all grew. That's where we all came into this. Our friends, it was all manipulation. It was all get what I want. Our dating relationships is all, you know, get what I want, get what I want, get what I want. It doesn't take us long. We're probably 12 years old until we learn that I can lead me better than anybody can lead me. I'm safer to just be by myself. And then when we come into that, we find God somewhere in this place and then we realize, wait a minute, I, I'm supposed to trust God? I'm supposed to take a risk? And he's gonna, what, magically kind of zippity-doo-dah, everything is gonna be okay, I'll just jump? Is that, that's what you're, really? That's what you're, yeah, I don't think so. Because I'm just not the kind of person that easily trusts anymore because our culture has not demonstrated to us what it means to be able to really trust, really rely on somebody that they will sacrifice themselves for my best interests. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, we're not doing that. And that's where we run into a problem. But let me say problem. An awesome opportunity for the kingdom of God, let me say it like this, an idea whose time has come. Finally, we've had enough of thinking that a me, an only me generation is going to make us happy. That's why these younger generations, they're not really interested in me, uh, in, in themselves, individuals. 
They want to come together. They want to collaborate. They want to join. They want to communitize themselves. They know that that's where real life is happening. Because our generation, the gray hair and up, gray hair to no hair, let's put it like that. <laughs> so we've proved to them that this, this, just, this, really doesn't, this really doesn't work. I'm making fun of a lot of things today. Eh? I'm going to have to edit a lot of this. You see, kingdom equals covenant. That's what we have to focus on. If we cannot really make this journey as individuals to pour ourselves into this environment where covenant can start working, then kingdom is going to be just a buzzword. It's not going to be real. And I'm telling you, the risks, we have to really be ready. I want to talk a little bit about this as we go forth over the summer, but we have to really be ready to address the issues that would hold us out of covenant. Every human being from the smallest of children wants to be in covenant. They dream about getting married and all of these types. They love it. The, the concept of love and commitment and sacrifice and togetherness. and all, It's always a remarkably desirable environment for human beings. We love it. We are trained to be untrusting people. Trust equals this amazing word, synergy. And we've spent a little bit of time here, but we're going to take a little, bit, a little bit deeper run on it today. I believe the reason that we want to get into covenant is because of the synergy that is created when we, when me and God become one. Like when the scripture talks about a husband and a wife, the two become one flesh. We join together. We're completely connected in every part of our being. As God would desire that in a, in a natural relationship, he very much desires that to be the picture so that we could relate to God. What God is interested in is synergizing with us. The, the, the definition of the word synergy, the, the whole, is greater than the sum of the parts. What that means is that when you put two people together that can lift 100 pounds apiece, between the two of them, they can now lift 300 pounds. Who lifted the other 100? You see, that's the God factor. When two people unite together, there is a God factor that multiplies their, their, their union rather than just adds it together. And the whole world talks about synergy and how it all works, they're not recognizing that that's the God factor in their businesses. It's the God factor in their organizations. It's the God factor in their families. It's the God factor in every area of their lives when God can search to and fro and just find two beings that can synergize themselves even a small way together. All of a sudden, as soon as he finds that Muslim, Hindu, or atheist, God is interested in creating that synergistic effect when people will just unify together. And the church has run around doing their let's unify but hate each other in the meantime. And the world has gone and got these things, figured out that they actually work, and has started using them, building multinational corporations. Nations are built upon these principles and the church is just going, yeah, we should unify. Yeah, we should unify. I hate you, and I hate you, and I hate, certainly hate you. We don't understand. What's at, we don't realize what's at stake. What's at stake if we cannot get a hold of this covenant factor? People, when you join a corporation, we pay you to be a covenant person. You join the government, we pay you to do your synergistic job. In the kingdom, we don't pay you. Well, I'm going to change that. But at present, it's volunteer. Most of what the work that goes on in the kingdom is all volunteer. And because it's volunteer, it's down here on the covenant level. Oh, yeah, I'll get there if I can. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Sunday morning, sun's up, 72 degrees. You know, I feel in the Lord just doesn't want me to go to church today for some reason. <laughs> See, there's no commitment. There's no connection. There's no... Right? Because volunteers, heck, you're just, you're just showing up. You're just a guest, you know. See, we've lost it all. While the world is, man, you're not there by five. If, you're, if work starts at nine, you're there a quarter to nine. 
And if, you're, if it ends at five, if you're gone before 10 o'clock at night, you probably won't have a job a month from now. They want you to work and show you're committed. Otherwise, you know, the, the, the line's bumping you along. We'll do that for a paycheck, but the kingdom is sitting around and it's saying, oh, yeah, I don't know, you know, this whole God thing, you know, I'm kind of looking for God to be about me and let's just call it a day. Instead of realizing he's got a big plan and his stuff works. I don't know if you know, he's a smart, smart guy. He can fix every problem, every problem, not just yours. He can fix every problem on Jupiter right now. Lickety split. As we come together, so this term synergy, which I'm going to focus on, I know it's a kind of a worldly word, but if I use unity, everybody thinks, oh, there should be harps playing when you say that. So synergy is a good word because it grabs hold of your attention. It's not a religious word. It's what unity is. But we'll fall asleep if I teach on unity. You've got to talk about synergy. The gathering together of two people. Do you know you can go on vacation with somebody and there can be no synergy? Anybody ever tried that? Right? Have someone, I, I, maybe I, me, me and Tina can live at your house for six months. Let's see how the synergy goes. You know, you can fight until you kill each other if they put you in too close a contact. You know that, right? So it's not being close together. It's not having the same wedding band on either. There's a synergy that happens that produces a, 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 an overwhelmingly greater harvest on the relationship. If it, if it can find its way to just a couple of key points, and all of a sudden you could be synergized with the guy walking down the street, heading to the Starbucks with you. And if you'll do a couple of things, you'll start synergizing with that person and you'll create more than you would have created just wandering down the street with your earbuds in. Do you know that? It's amazing. When we realize what is God trying to do to transform our lives into these effervescent, overwhelmingly harvest-oriented lives that are changing the world everywhere we go. Not just because you and your deodorant walked in, but because you are, you're synergizing whenever you get into that environment. And all of a sudden, things are just, oh my, I feel better even when I'm around you. That's the synergy of God. That wasn't me or my cologne. That was God doing that. If we just understood how it works, everybody gets around you and say, man, I just love being with you. Maybe, you know, how do you get to be? Well, sit down, you know, I'll, I'll tell you. You know, it was, a, it, was a, it was actually a word invented by science people. They were, you know, biologies and chemistry folk and all that. They were looking at all of these structures, the molecules and the atoms and the cells and the systems and the functions, mother nature, all of these things. And everybody seemed, it's kind of weird because it was all a cosmic accident, some primordial soup kind of thing. But it's amazing how they all seem to work well together. And they serve each other and they kind of, you know, because they're together, now the bird poops in the yard and the, the tree eats the poop and then the thing gets the cherries and the bird comes back. It's amazing how they eat. They just work together. And they think, we don't have an English word that talks about that relationship. There wasn't one. And so they invented one. They invented the word synergy. Because human beings would never have to bother with a word like that because we don't work together. We don't try to do stuff together. I try to use you and enslave you so that I can get everything you've got. We, don't, we already have a word for that. Science people started realizing in Mother Nature, you know, the realm that God rules all by his onesie, there's synergy going on everywhere. And we had to invent a new, that was a couple hundred years ago, this, world, this word came into existence. We'd gone for thousands of years as human beings, never needing a word that describes this. Synergy is the God factor. How are you going to get to your destiny all by yourself? You're not. You need the God factor. You need the synergy 
of a relationship of covenant with Almighty God where I trust him implicitly. And because I trust him, I'm st- at least not, and I don't have to be 100% trust here. I just have to be a little bit. And God starts synergizing just based on that little bit that I will give him to trust him. Just do what he says. God wants to pool his resources with you. I like that word pool. He wants to pour it all into one big pool. All of you in there, all of God in there, and let's see what we can accomplish. That's what covenant is. That's what he's looking for. He's recognizing that you can't get there from here by yourself. Any more than Tina can have a child by herself or I can. We need to be together to do that. So how do you get synergy with God? How do you get synergy? You know, it's remarkably simple. Three things. One, you have to have a common future focus. That seems a little bit self-evident, but you need to be going in the same direction to the same place. You cannot be synergized with somebody if you're heading in opposite directions. And so when you have a common focused goal of where you're going, just like walking, if you're both heading to Starbucks, you can synergize together on the way there because you're both heading to Starbucks. The second thing that you need is you need a common or a universal understanding of all the members that are synergizing, at least two, but there could be 600 there could be 188,000 people that are in the organization, but everybody understands where we're going and everybody understands their role, their part in getting there. And then the third thing that you need is you need the structures. You need the environment that is going to facilitate all of this working together and grabbing onto things and drawing in things and building things and, and setting stuff up in order for us to keep going up and up and up and up and up and up and up closer. You can't just have a whole big chaotic room full of 188,000 people who all think that change in the world is awesome and expect there's gonna be anything done. You gotta start building the structures of how that stuff is gonna work. And it empowers people in the journey because they start being able to understand what am I moving, what am I doing right now? How am I moving forward? How do we lock arms? If we're three-legged racing together, we got to figure out, are we starting with the inside leg or the outside leg? We got to know how we are going to do this in order to make it work. And then once you understand my job, you understand your job, and there's an environment that's built in order for to facilitate all of that activity, all of a sudden, we start having covenant ha- uh, synergy happening. But you can hear inside of that. So I got my job. Tina's got her job. I need to trust because I can't be busy with her job or, you know, wondering if she's doing her job. I just got to start running ahead here with the thing that I'm being asked to do, confident that she's running ahead with the things that she's being asked to do, and we're going to land over there together with all this stuff done. It takes the trust. If one part of the organization's in Canada and the other part of the organization's in China, and you're never working at the same time of any day, you got to have a good working relationship knowing, yeah, these guys are doing their part. And I'm doing my part, and it's on a boat, and it's coming here, and I got my stuff, and it's going there, and it's all working really well. I got to be able to trust. You see that? I got to be able to trust in order to have that happen. When we're relating to God, we got this thing, this future focus. Where's God taking us? You know, we've been duped in our culture that God's taking us to a me-focused destination where I'm just going to be laying on a beach somewhere and angels are going to appear out of thin air and drop grapes into my mouth. Can I tell you something? I'm happy God's doing that with you, but that's not the purpose. Well, you know, God's all about getting me to heaven when I die so that him and all the little baby angels can float around together and we'll just have... No, that's not... uh, that's, uh, somebody made that up. That's not in the Bible. 
Well, we are going to go to heaven. Sure, you're going to go to heaven. Then you're coming back. You're going to go to heaven for, uh, for dinner and some award ceremony. <laughs> and then you're coming back. What God is doing is not about getting you out of here. Although we have a cool thing that's going to happen. But after that cool thing, we're coming back. Because the kingdom, the place that God is building right now, is here. I mean, it's there too. It's heaven and earth. I don't dispute that. But it's not, not earth. God is trying to, to redeem his creation. He's trying to use you to do that. He's trying to create a species of beings that has never existed before. A species of being whose inner workings are divine. They are divine because they are the words of the divine. As those words get in you, it changes who you are as a person. What you are trusting when you trust God is changing the, your very nature. That's what God is trying to do. His end game is to get this whole creation, heaven and earth, both created, page one. He's trying to get them all back to the way he intended them to be in the beginning. Heaven is still the way heaven is. That was when it was created. The problem area is down here. Because sin, deception, has, has completely contaminated this realm. We have, like, to imagine where, and I, I talk, my, my dad is, uh, uh, bless the Lord, 28. He's 91. I think about that. He was born in 1928. I'm thinking to myself, my father was born on an island. Eriske is the name of the island. It's a little island. You could probably spit from one side of it to the other. In the Hebrides of Scotland. The big, it's basically a rock that has a head above the, the, the ocean. He, he lived in a... Uh, <laughs> this is just give you a picture. What, what happened, they had no trees. So they had to build houses. All they had is the seaweed that, that, that comes in on the shore. You know, if you've ever been around those places, man, it's, it's, man, you talk seaweed. You know, you're talking it thick, this, this thick. And they would get that stuff, and they would squish it down and make bricks out of it, sort of brick things. And that's what my father's house was made out of. No electricity, no indoor plumbing. These little pads of seaweed, they would dry them out, and that would be that they burned for fuel for their fireplace to make tea or whatever. That, my father is still alive today. The world that he has seen, if they would have told him when he was seven years old, the stuff that he was going to see, he plays on an iPad now. If he, that would have been like, what are you talking? Is this like some science fiction movie you're talking about here? You know, you know I can Dick Tracy this watch. I can talk. That's what Dick Tracy did when I was a kid. Man, that was the ultimate in cool gadget was a watch that you could use to talk to somebody else. Captain Kirk, you know. We got all that stuff now. That's science fiction in my lifetime. Uh, but we're probably done, right? We've pro everything there is to know, we're smart enough now that we know it. How many of you think that? Can I tell you something? We are just about to get started on what the potential of God when he thought human being. But you know, it was, it's been like this all along. You remember that, how many remember the scripture in uh, Psalms, help me Jesus, chapter eight, where the angels say to God, like, who is man that you are mindful of him? That dirty, stinky guy who doesn't even think to invent indoor plumbing who is that guy that you are so that you have crowned him with glory and honor? Who is that guy? Did you ever wonder that when you see a you know a cute girl marrying an ugly guy? And you're thinking, like, what has he got money or something? I know that guy. 
And you're thinking to yourself, why is that girl mindful of that guy? How many of you have ever had that? Don't look around. <laughs> you know, they know something you don't know. You know, when God looks at you, he knows stuff that is not readily apparent right now about who you are. That he is so mindful of you, mindful of you. Not got you on his mind and a whole bunch of, mindful of you. What is it about you that the God of all gods is focused on you? You think maybe he knows something that you don't know? That there is something going on with the potential of a human being? If God's saying, I could just synergize with, if I could just get in there, if I could just make a connection, if they would just trust me just a little bit, whoa, what I could do with that nasty little two-legged thing over there. I could like crazy potential. He's mindful of us, filled us with glory and honor. We still need deodorant to get through the day. What is it? What is going on? Can I tell you something? What God can see is a being of the same species as God. You know, humans don't marry lizards because they're not the same species. Well, they might nowadays, who knows, right? <laughs> humans marry humans. God can only marry somebody who is the same species. That's you. But we got to have the same focus. If my focus is Ian and God's focus is changing the world, I am going to be the hardest person to lead ever. Because he's wanting me to get myself off my mind and I'm trying to get God to get me on his. And that doesn't work. Now God's got me. He's mindful of me. I already discussed that. But he's so mindful of me. He's so aware of me. He so understands where we're going and the potential that we have. Unless we are willing to throw ourselves into this whole thing and get the synergy working so that we can be those people that God has designed us. From the very beginning of time, you have been that person. But we have to get his plan on our mind so that we synergize with him. If we're going in different directions and I'm pulling towards me and he's pulling towards his plan, we're never going to synergize. Every now and again, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. It might work every now and again and we'll get you on video to give a testimony about it. But let me tell you, you want a life of continual miracles? You want to be able to walk on water? You want to be able to change the world? I'm telling you how you do that. You jump into this and realize if I don't lose my life, I'll never get it. I'm just going to be the little animal that they tell me that I am. Scratching and scraping in the mud to get a few kernels of corn. Because they're in such short supply. Instead of realizing that's not who I was created to be. I was created to be in covenant with Almighty God. Intentionally built as the same species of him so we can come together. 100% synergized together. You got to have a shared understanding of the objectives, broken down into individual responsibilities. Who are you? And why are you here? And what are you supposed to be doing? Do you know what the answer is? Do you know where you're going? Do you know why God created you? You know, he's super interested in giving you that understanding. Daniel was saying earlier, you know, you just sit down in a corner and stare at the wall for a half hour and God starts talking. You ever noticed? Shut your phone to silent. It's amazing how God starts talking. God wants you to know. It's the reason he created you. It's inside of you right now, calling at you. You should have skipped church today. You couldn't. It's calling you. 
pulling you forward. That's discovery. But we've got to discover that. God is not going to just, you know, magically, you know, in the, in the year, year 2K, Y2K, going to magically transform the whole world into, you know, like, like Tinkerbell does. That's not how this works. God's going to transform this world with you. He's going to do it with you, with the dream that is on the inside of you, that is sitting in there, bursting at the seams, It's a Ferrari in the garage. It just has no gas in the tank. Covenant is the gas in the tank. It's the where to go and how to get there. And then finally, the, oh gosh, I'm on, I got a bunch of pages to go here. Let's finish it next time. It's coming into an environment. There has to be an environment. I mean, I'm crying out to God right now. As we all run around with our, you know, I'm apostolic, you know, on on our (laughs) t-shirts. Apostolic environment is an environment that synergizes the individual dream and call on an individual. Facilitates. How do I get to know what that is? How do I get to perfect it? How do I get to learn? How do I get to grow? Matthew chapter 25, Luke chapter 19, we have this beautiful example of Jesus's the, the history of Jesus as he is an, uh, the, the certain man, the nobleman who travels off to a far country for a season and gives, uh, uh, you know, five talents to this one and two talents to this one and one talent to the next one. And then he returns. He returns to see what the people did with his money. Do you remember the story? And to the one who had five, he made five more. And then he congratulated that one and said, okay, let's go, you got 10 now, let's go make 20. And then to the five, to the two, he gave two more, they earned two more. And he's, okay, here's the, now go make four out of it. Go make eight out of that. And then to the one, the guy gets vilified. Can I tell you that parable does not start with God telling the people what to do with his money. There was nothing wrong with the guy who took the money and kept it safe. Because God did not tell them what the objective was at the beginning of the parable. So God must be unfair. No. He's calling upon the innate part of a human being. The divine part of a human being that creates increase because of the synergy with God. You had the one guy that had five and he went out miraculously and made five more. Not miraculously, God did that. The guy who had two, he miraculously made two more. No, God did that. The guy who had one had no intention of increasing it, had no intention of synergizing it. He just put it in a safe in the ground. And God said, called this guy unprofitable. You see, what happens to us when we're getting invited into this zone, I'm finishing here. As we are getting invited into this covenant zone, we are getting invited into a place of profitableness where the synergistic effect of my life trusting God, knowing where we are going, Imagine what what God would have the world to look like. Not the angry guard who likes to see children suffer and all that. Not that guy. He's the red-suited guy. The God is the God who wants every single person not struggling under the harvests of of, uh, deception as we're trying to beat back all of these terrible things that are going on in our lives because of the belief systems. That's not the world. That's not the struggle world God had intended. God intended our world of struggle to be a world that I get born into with all the gifts that are being given to me by my fathers and I take those gifts and I struggle to create the destiny that I have been given to to, to increase and further the purposes of humankind with my life. That's the struggle God intended. That part of the struggle isn't gonna go away. That's the adventure. That's the reason, that's the joie de vivre of life is when we go and we take our destiny and go and get it done. That's the world that God wants to create. He doesn't want humankind anymore 
living under the burden of the harvests of deception. Covenant. Having the guts. Like guys getting married, a girl's getting married. Man, they have guts. That's a big commitment. What we're doing is we're realizing this is where I'm going. Put your hand over your heart and say, Heavenly Father, I so know that inside of me is a destiny that can only be fulfilled with God empowering it, with his supernatural ability to get things done. I know if I try to save my life, I'm going to lose it. And so I decide today, I am ready. I know how to trust God. I know he's for me. I know he has my best interests at heart. So I know I can trust him to obey him, to follow him, to do things his way. As he guides me, progressively increasing me to fulfill my destiny. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that your life was impacted by this service and you are able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him, but been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so that you could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning one that will impact this globe for good. If you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then just repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my savior and my Lord. Help me believe in you and love you every day and help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you have just made to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey. And most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we would love to send you with some easy steps on where to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you and we look forward to hearing from you real soon.